Hello, and thank you once again for tuning into the new year, uh, or actually, what is the new year, uh, 2011 Reptile Living Room. I am your host, John F. Taylor. And uh, starting this month, we actually have a little bit of a change. Our sponsors have changed out now, and we are now, now being brought to you by uh, Marsha McGinnis and Golden Gate Geckos, where you can find the, gosh, I, pretty much the most beautiful, uh, healthy leopard geckos, Australian smooth and rough knobtail geckos, Australian thick-tailed geckos, African fat tails, as well as banded geckos of the coleonic species. And not just because they're spo- uh, our sponsor for the next uh, few months, but because I know the quality of the uh, of the geckos. We've seen them per, uh, firsthand and up close and personal, and we know how Marsha and her crew handle the geckos. There's no better place to buy your uh, leopards, Australians, you know, uh, fat tails. Basically, any gecko that Marsha sells, you're getting a pet, um, an investment that's been given love, care, um, just really, really awesome people. And uh, we would like to thank Marsha and her crew at Golden Gate Geckos for uh, basically sponsoring our show. So, once again, that's Golden Gate Geckos. Uh, you can find them at goldengategeckos.com. That's, uh, they're right there in the Bay Area. So, please feel free to check them out. Um, let them know that you heard about them from us. And this week's episode is with Julie Bergman of Gecko Ranch, which is another obvious gecko producer. Now, you may know Julie from um, books that she's written, uh, several magazine articles, what have you. Uh, this is uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This episode is going to focus more on the Felsuma species uh, that Julie's been working with. The, that's what we know her for is the Felsuma species. Really awesome breeder, really intuitive breeder. Uh, knows a lot about the day geckos. And for those who are unfamiliar with the day geckos, think the Geico insurance cur- commercials. That's basically Felsuma grandis or the giant day gecko. But uh, yeah. Uh, next week we are looking at talking with Andrew Wyatt from US Arc, uh, US Arc which is the United States uh, Amphibian Reptile Keepers Association so please do tune in for that we're going to find out how Andrew and uh, the whole US Arc got started that kind of thing so looking forward to that and uh, you're going to notice a little bit of a change in the format this week um, and in the upcoming episodes as well about halfway through we are going to do the whole you know chime in with the sponsor thing Hopefully that doesn't stop you from listening. I don't see why it should, but, uh, yeah, you know, so that's what we're doing. And, uh, without further ado, here's, uh, Julie Bergman, really funny lady, really nice to talk to you on the phone, uh, talking about, you know, the day geckos and, uh, looking forward to talking to her again in the future. Stay tuned. So, uh, tonight we're on the phone with, uh, Julie Bergman from Gecko Ranch. I guess basically the first place to start with Julie would, how did she get involved with, uh, geckos in the first place? Or reptiles, uh, actually. Well, uh, it started when I was little, and I always chasing uh, lizards around. <laughs> and uh, I, I just had a special fascination for them because to me they looked like little dinosaurs. Okay. And that was like the ultimate, and it still is. Yep. You, you know, I'm I'm 48 now. <laughs> <laughs> so this started, you know, probably when I could walk. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, I kept the, the native uh, blue bellies, you know, coloparous. Okay. And I grew up in California uh, all my life, and I spent uh, many summers in Colorado growing up. Oh, wow. In uh, Durango, and they had coloparous there, and they also had uh, horned lizards. Right. And um, 
learned that those aren't his chapters. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then, um, that reminds me of, oh, I used to go to the L.A. Fair. A lot of Californians in Southern California went to the L.A. County Fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I was growing up, uh, they sold animals. They had little red strings that attached the poor little thing by safety pins to you. Yep. Which is like, oh, I look back on that and go, that is just horrible. Disgusting. I mean, you know, if I didn't know I was a kid. Yeah, know? exactly. So, but, you know, I had uh, I had one that, when I was little, I had one until I was about three and a half years old, so my cat accidentally got it. Uh-oh. You know, but the animals are, Anolis carolinensis, the American chameleon, they're awesome little uh, pets. Yeah. Very so definitely. I enjoy them with little independent eyes and stuff, and and I got my microscope, I looked at their skin, and wow. that was a real trip. If you have a microscope, look at your reptiles underneath it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the animal, they have the ability to, you know, change shape. Right. Know, right, light, right to dark. And uh, they, their, their scales are like little jujubes. Oh, wow. It was a real trip to look under the microscope and see that. No kidding. <laughs> that would be cool. Now I want to go get one and look at it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so what was the first reptiles that you started keeping or breeding, I should say? Well, breeding didn't didn't occur until way, way later. Right, right. Um, and so the first successful uh, pairing there, I think, was, well, I can't remember if it was the leopard geckos or the the felsuma that I did first. I think it might have been the felsuma. Oh, wow. Okay. I did first. Because um, I kept leopard geckos, but I just had females, and I I had two uh, sibling females for for a while. Uh, then I got a hatchling, mm-hmm. and um, they then I got a, a, a kind of like uh, oh mentally challenged male. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't all there, and he wasn't a good breeder. So finally, I, I did get a good breeder, but I think that wasn't until oh probably around '94. Okay. But the, in 93, I found my first Grandis, and I was, mm. I had been keeping, you know, uh, leopards and uh, Rankin's dragons um, for for many years, like Rankin's since the 80s. Oh, really? And I had pretty much singles, because different bloods is hard to find. And, right. Um, but they're, you know, I've never had the big beardies. <laughs> oh, okay. I've always had Rankin's with their fist size. Right. Awesome little dudes and very, fairly, uh, very highly sought after. Yes. Uh, little guys. And so I'm still working with them. And uh, but the grandest really got me going. As I was in a hardware store that had a pet section in Davis, and I saw these. Uh, they had a grandest there, and it was a bright green with big red spots. Was, you know, wild caught uh, female. Okay. And uh, I thought, wow, this is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, of course, I had to get it, and then I had her for like, probably six months, and I go, well, I have to get a male. <laughs> yeah. So I went back to the same place, and I got a very beautiful male. And uh, the fer- very first clutch that I had, I saran wrapped the uh, a, like a plastic tumbler, and I put their eggs in curlers. You know, on top of Ricolite, but I put them in curlers standing up because I heard that if you tilted them, that wasn't so good for them. Right. And it turns out that's supposed to hooey. Oh. Um, and <laughs> so, anyways, but uh, they had no problem coming out of the saran wrap, you know. Wow. Uh, and so I was 
up the very first one I was up on top of my drapes trying to catch this thing <laughs> and uh, you know I didn't know much about grandness or you know stuff like that how to catch them and so I pulled off part of this little guy's tail uh -oh. so I called him stubby and I kept the I kept this one okay. and I still have him and really you still have stubby well today is December 15th and he was hatched out in uh, 1993, December 15th, so he is 18 years old today. Wow. Well, happy birthday to Stubby. <laughs> I know, I know. So I forgot, I forgot to give him a treat today, but tomorrow I'll give him a special treat. <laughs> 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 Very cool. Now, um, you're mostly, in, at least in my, to my knowledge anyway, you're mostly known for your day gecko breeding. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I remember, gosh, um... I don't even know how many years ago now it was, but probably about eight years ago now, um, a partner of mine um, actually called me up one day at work and told me, you've got to come over after work. You have to see what I got. You know, and we were both into reptiles and stuff like that, but we would always, you know, looked at, like, day geckos and chameleons as, like, the hands-off pets because, you know, we're guys. You know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we maul stuff every time we're trying to be gentle with it, you know. So anyway, I walked into his house, and there was this grandest gecko that he had purchased in its uh, enclosure that he's been working on for weeks. Mm -hmm. And he actually told me where it came from, and it actually came from you. <laughs> and I guess you guys had been speaking on the phone for, like, weeks on end mm -hmm. about how to set up the enclosure and just doing everything properly and how to feed it. And I have never seen a more ecstatic human being in my life as the day <laughs> that he got his uh, grandest gecko from Gecko Ranch. <laughs> So that was kind of interesting that I'm talking to you now. It's very cool. Now, um, so talking about the day, the grandest day geckos, how many day gecko species are there now that you're working with? Mm, I have I have somewhere around thirty. Wow. So there there are quite a few, and some some I may never be able to pair up. Really? Yeah. Um, although I you know there's a chance I could get some stuff. From Europe. Mm -hmm. I, I know I know uh, a very good breeder in Sweden, uh, Magnus Forsberg, that has been kind enough to you know uh, import some. Oh, okay. When he, when he uh, he'll bring him with him when he comes to Daytona sometimes. Oh, nice. Which is a, an official uh, port of entry for that. Right. Yeah. Now, um, how many geckos total do you work with on a yearly basis? Mm. Like a rough guesstimate. Well, I always tell people that, you know, I have probably about 300 permanent residents. Oh, my gosh. And there's probably, you know, probably a good uh, 250 plus uh, offspring right. here right now. Wow. Um, and I think the economy has really slowed that down. So I'm like up to the rafters. Oh, I bet. With geckos right now. Oh, wow. And I have a, a thousand square foot building dedicated to them. Oh, my gosh. So when did you first unlock the secret to breeding uh, day geckos on a regular basis? Well, it's the same secret for any gecko. Or any oh, okay. Or any, you know, and that is um, once you decide what you want to work with, uh -huh. a lot of people skip that part. Yeah, true. <laughs> and they go about it kind of backwards. But um, what I was first really fascinated with Felsuma, so I wanted to learn everything I could possibly learn about Felsuma, and so the most knowledgeable person everyone referred me to was Sean McEwen, who right. uh, unfortunately passed, passed away. Passed away now, yeah. Yeah, but he was my mentor, 
Um, so that that oh, is gosh. part of the secret, you know, because he taught me everything he knew about Felsuma, and he knew some really great stuff. And wow. And I put this in the, my writing, and he helped edit my writing starting out. Um, but there's nothing like having someone like Sean right. you know, be uh, a guide for you. Yeah. And, and the other thing is networking with as many possible people as you can. And uh, so I would I would be at all the symposiums and, uh, you know, meet people. Like, that's how I met Magnus Forsberg, you know, from Sweden. Oh, okay. Or, uh, you know, on, online forums and uh, back way back when in the early 90s, uh, we had this deco list. That, mm-hmm. uh, this was before forums, even. Oh, wow. So all of us that were interested in any type of gecko uh, were on there. And so we all talked to each other, you know, and eventually forums came, you know, that were sort of specific, you know, about certain types of animals. And so people kind of have split off, and, and uh, that's not an active thing anymore. But right. that, that was really how it started. And the other thing is publication. And that's, I really think people are missing the boat on that. Because uh, they, they're on the Internet, but they have to realize that what's on the Internet is not, um, unless it's written by someone who, who writes, you know, and someone who is familiar on, uh, you know, uh, how they should reference things. Right. You know, um, it's not edited, so people just don't have any idea. You know, if you buy a book, you know, like, if you buy my book, Geckos, it was edited by eight people. Right. And it was a, a herpetologist. It was a like a person who does art books. It was, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was all these people from different perspectives. Exactly. So, or the uh, Global Gecko Association puts out a journal, Gecko, mm-hmm. and that that is written by people all over the world who are considered experts in the field and who also go in the field. Mm-hmm. And so, for also for someone like me who works with rare geckos, that is vital to get uh, have a publication like that because these people actually have been to the environment right. where the they ri- the geckos originate and, and the data is just invaluable in setting up uh, enclosures to, to benefit their health. Right, right. Yeah, Marsha McGinnis and I were actually talking about that with the um, the leopard geckos and you know coming from Afghanistan and stuff like that. There's nobody out there, you know, that can actually get out there into the field and actually research and besides you know, very few people, so. Right, so, and, yeah, right now that's not a friendly, so. Yeah, very definitely. <laughs> information, information is good, and, and so get, get as much information that you can, but you have to be selective about the information that you do get. Right. And, and then um, joining, uh, you know, different uh, societies, you know, your local herp society is definitely on the list. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can, you know, connect with people in your area. And then, uh, you know, for, for gecko, serious gecko breeders, the Global Gecko Association is, is a must. Okay. And all the serious people, you know, definitely belong. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm the president, so, you know, I have to mention that, it, but, Oh, of uh, course. I'm a lifetime member. I joined up when it started about eight years ago because I realized the importance of it. Sure. You know, so, you know, things like that and then knowing uh, which forums to be on, you know, some are more focused on the different different animals and uh, forums are nice because you can post up pictures yeah and uh, you know get get immediate response in the better forums they're they're edited by the uh, the senior members and the, the, the admins mm-hmm. you know to filter out 
you know, uh, misinformation. Oh, okay. Very nice. Now, um, talking about your book, and uh, I'm, by the way, I'm very jealous that Sean McCown was your mentor. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> because my first article that I ever wrote on Tegu's actually appeared in an issue with uh, Sean McCown, uh, McEwen article. And I went running home, uh, running over to my mom's house to show her, you know, that, Mom, look, do you realize who this is? Sean McEwen. Do you realize who this is? I'm on the, I'm on the next page. Oh, my God. So the fact that you even met and spoke with Sean McEwen, I'm very jealous about that. But anyway, <laughs> regarding your book, um, that was published by TFH, correct? Uh, not that book. The, I, I co-wrote a book that was a, a TFH book called Leopard Geckos, and uh, it, it was also a book on uh, other species that were and other leopard geckos. So oh, okay. I, I didn't write about leopards in that book, but I wrote about uh, uh, fat tails and, uh, you know, uh, cat geckos and, mm -hmm. you know, some really interesting leopards. Oh, okay. Um, but the uh, geckos is published by Advanced Vivarian Systems. And the Reptile Living Room is brought to you, of course, today by Golden Gate Geckos, producing the most beautiful, healthy leopard geckos, Australian smooth and rough knobtail geckos, as well as Australian thick tail geckos, African fat tails, and banded geckos. Your quality is guaranteed. These are personal uh, friends of ours, as well as our sponsors, and really recommend you check these folks out. Once again, it's GoldenGateGeckos.com. myself I already know but I still like my cool. listeners to know it was well uh, right off the bat I can tell you it's very intense yeah um, and you're you're being very self-critical and you have to be careful not to be so self-critical that you can't move <laughs> <laughs> you know that you can't uh, write mm -hmm. um, so uh, at the time my uh, my friend uh, Gerald Merker who is the main author for the the TFH book on leopard geckos and other okay he, he says, oh, Julie, you know, we, you must write these, you know, three chapters in this book. And he says, you have to do it now. And right before then, I, I said I would write the, uh, the gecko, book Geckos. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was doing them pretty much at the same time in, in 2006. Wow. And, uh, and but right at that time, I got LASIK and, uh, from my eyes. And right. uh, it takes a number of months for your, your eyes to heal up. <laughs> Yeah. And so focusing and refocusing, oh, it was, <laughs> it was entertaining. It was entertaining. 
But at the same time, you know, I'm I'm a writer by nature and um, just have a kind of a natural love and knack for it. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a little adrenaline rush when I'm, when I'm writing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That was very cool. Now, uh, as far as the uh, gecko breeding industry is concerned and things of that nature, how did, uh, does this reptile litigation, any of it, does it affect the, uh, you personally uh, as far as the industry regulations that they're trying to propose in Congress and all that? Well, um, not not directly, but indirectly. Okay. And because in the way that it infringes on our rights and mm-hmm. how things can, you know, trickle down to the different breeders. Okay. You know, a different uh, pet owner. And so uh, it, if one thing is, you know, this, well, the, the whole, the, you know, uh, what do you call it, hysteria. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of based on politicians wanting to look good by sacrificing a lamb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reptiles are an easy, easy lamb right. to uh, sacrifice. But, however, they so, I think they underestimate our community, under, underestimate our community because we are we are banding together and we are getting the message out that if one if one species or group of species is allowed to be unjustly terminated as a, a right to keep in the United States, then you know it's fair game, and they are assaulting us. It is coming at us from right and left. Right now, it's the amphibian ban. Python ban, it was this, it was that, you know, and and so people are getting carried away and politicians are wanting to do an easy slam dunk sort of thing, you know, oh, the constituents will like me, but you know what, the the politicians (sighs) understand the power of people saying one thing, and in Mm. this case, the reptile community is banding together and we're saying no, Right. you know, and we're writing and uh, we're going through USARC and we're we're uh, banding together, and that's the most effective thing that we can do. Okay, very nice. That was actually going to be my next question. What can we do about it? <laughs> <laughs> we so, have to get involved, and it's it's uh, it's not that hard, you know. It's it's very especially the USARC uh, USARC.org. You get on there. Um, in fact, you have until tomorrow night at midnight to comment on the amphibian ban. Right. So please, people, get on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and please comment. It's super easy. Um, uh, USARC uh, has a prepared statement. They encourage you to make it personal. And, uh, you know, feel free to write your own statement, but, uh, but get on there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <coughs> now, what are some of the major changes uh, that you've seen personally in the industry since you got started uh, breeding and becoming a prominent figure in the industry? Well, I, I would say... Um, there's, there, there are many more of us now than there used to be. Oh, okay. Which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. Right, so, right. Um, I'm, I'm really excited that people, you know, want to breed and stuff like that. And I, but I think you can do that without, without breeding. You can enjoy reptiles and amphibians without breeding. Mm-hmm. And I think more people really should consider keeping single specimens or some groups of females or, you know. Right. Just to enjoy, because right now there's a glut, and uh, the market is having to do some unpleasant settling right now. Right. And with the economy and the glut, it's just a bad combination, and a lot of bad stuff is going on. You know, like people are having to practically give 
give some animals away, and it's just that's not how it should be. Right. So even with you know, I I focus mostly on retail. I don't do hardly any wholesaling. Oh really? Um, okay. If I do, it's just to certain people, and I, I deal with institutions like the California Academy of Sciences and uh, different zoos across the nation, and they you know I know they're not going to abuse things. Right. So I, I like to be in control. That's why I don't do a lot of wholesaling because okay. I like to control where the animals go and you know know that they're in good hands. Right. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of that logic. Okay. Now, in your opinion, what's the hardest part about being successful in this industry? Um. Well, I I would say that you well you have to show people that you have the right stuff. You know, you have to market yourself right, you have to pay your dues, mm-hmm. and um, you you uh, have to connect with people, and one of the things you have to make them aware of is some, uh, a lot of reptiles, since we've got good supplements and foods, and, you know, husbandry knowledge is, is uh, getting better all the time, mm-hmm. so the lives of these animals are getting longer, so we need to impress upon people that... You know, these this is these aren't disposable pet. pets. This is a long-term pet, and you need to be prepared to take this gecko to college if you're a kid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Stubby's 18 now, so, you know. Right? <laughs> so he's going to college, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you need to communicate effectively with people. And, uh, like, uh, you know, everybody has a website now. In the old days, not everyone had a website. That right. Was, the only time you see people is you would go to the shows. Go to the shows, yeah. And stuff like that. The shows are still good, you know, and that's a good way to, like, you know, connect with people on a more personal level. But your mm-hmm. website must do that for you. Right. You know, it must, it, it must instill confidence in people that you will help them not only uh, at the time of the sale but after the sale. And you will give them the tools necessary to uh, be successful. Okay. Um, as far as uh, the species that you're, uh, the day geckos that you're working with now, what made you choose sticking with day geckos versus the thousands of other species of reptile that are out there? Well, uh, personally, you know, I just, I'm fascinated by day geckos because of their colors. Mm-hmm. And they're, uh, I, I have a great time putting together their terrariums. <laughs> uh, most, most of mine are naturalistic. Oh, nice. For those that I do have some PVC pipe in there that grows in the hardware store. (laughs) And I I don't, you know, I'm not a real stickler for um, purely uh, naturalistic. And I, you know, some some, uh, setups I have are hybrids, you know, uh, fake plants and, uh, you know, some PVC pipes and and stuff like that. What you need is functionality for the animal. Right. You know, so, but anyways, uh, back to the I do work with, and at one time I worked with over 80 different species of geckos. Dear Lord. You know, way beyond Belsuma. And so I deal, you know, I, I deal with uh, a lot of different kinds of paradura. Um, and I have, like, micro geckos, you know, little small andoriensis, which are almost kaput, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Uh, due to lack of blood coming in from uh, Madagascar. Um and uh, what other types of geckos, uh, you know, tons of, pre- I have rachidactylus, I have many different species of those. Oh, wow. And so, I, you know, I have an appreciation for all kinds of geckos. Uh, pachydactylus, uh, I have a webwood, which are now part of pachydactylus. 
Right. Um, and uh, some other different kinds of, of pachydactylus, viper geckos, um, which I'm keeping with Belsuma. <laughs> really? Right. Yeah, and it's, it's working fantastic. It's working fantastic. Because <laughs> some Belsuma huh. you keep uh, dry. Yeah. You know, essentially, you miss them once a day, but uh, so it creates the ideal uh, situation of really warm uh, environment where the vipers, you know, they climb around a little bit. They're mostly terrestrial, though. But okay. They have a nice little warm environment, and I have a, a paradura that's arboreal called uh, Bazimba, which I I keep. It's a bigger uh, version of Andoriensis, essentially. Okay. Uh, and those I'm starting to keep with. Uh, uh, Clemeri. Really? My favorite Felsuma. <laughs> huh. So, so, yeah, there's there's all kinds of little geckos that I work with, and, and then I work with uh, Leachianus and, you know, a lot of different, uh, well, I work with a lot of different eupolephorids, too, like different types of coleonics. I've, I've been... Uh, Wait a know, minute, so you're working with coleonics as well? Oh, yeah, lots of different Oh, kinds. my gosh. You and Marcia... <laughs> Because I, when I saw Marcia um, at the show that we met at, um, she had something on, I think it was on her business card, or somehow we got talking about coleonics, and I was like, wait a minute, that's like the Desert Bandit gecko, right? That's mm -hmm. the one you're talking about. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I've never heard of anybody working with that. I thought it was just one of those ones that was out in the desert. <laughs> so you work with them as well. Well, I've got some, you know, some United States ones, and I've got uh, south of the border ones, too. Wow. Where I've got the uh, Mitratus and the uh, Elegant from uh, Belize. Ooh. And uh, those are really rare, but uh, I, re I really enjoy them all, you know. Like right. The, the uh, Breathis from Texas, which are, you know, legally collected. There are some in Texas you can't collect. Uh -huh. But uh, um, I, you know, I have Arizona, variegated uh, uh, Bogardize, um, you know, so I, I have all these different kinds, you know. Wow. It's, it's a lot of fun. And they're they're just really cute and personable. Oh, very definitely. They don't need a big terrarium, and, and they're they're easy to breed and keep happy, and they're pretty long-lived. Like, I have a breeder that passed out in 2001, and uh, he's doing, doing great. You know, that's a really small guy. Yeah. You know, and he's, you know, it's 2010, it's almost 2011. He's 10 wow. years old, and he looks great. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, um, being that uh, the show's pretty much about uh, living in an apartment with reptiles, yeah. um, what species of gecko, other than, like, the leopard and the African fat tail, you know, the kind of, I don't want to say common stuff, but, you know, more of the, I don't really know how to say it, more of the rare species like day geckos, right. as far as that's concerned. What are some of the other species that you would recommend? Because myself, like I was telling you earlier, I consider day geckos to be, like kind of almost an advanced species because it's not something you can just like you know it's not like a leopard gecko you can just reach in and pick them up and throw them on your shoulder and just walk around mm -hmm. they're kind of a little bit more delicate than that well <laughs> i you know i i will i will gently disagree with you here because mm. i think they're a, Please do. a great second gecko i think after you've had leopard gecko or crested gecko oh okay or, or a fat tail you know some you know healthy you know easy to pick up guy right right um at a certain point, you you realize that picking them up is not all, you know, all the, the fun. And watching them is the fun. Ah, okay. So, um, like fish. Like I tell right. people, you know, oh, I can't, I can't find a day gecko because I can't pick it up. I'm like, 
well, do you have fish or have fish? Oh, yeah. Did you pick them up? <laughs> you no. can't pet a fish. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> so they're colorful, you know. Right. Uh, the clemmer eye you actually can pick up, you know, if you're a gentle type person. Okay. And they will sit and walk on your fingers. Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know, they're unbelievably looking, you know, incredible colors. They're just amazing little, little guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people have tamed the standing eye and the grandis to sit on them. Like, uh, I have a grandis that used to belong to somebody. He, he's an old lizard, by the way. I've had him for, oh, probably six years, and I don't know how long his previous owner had him, at least that long. Wow. And he's carried this guy named Greedy around in his pocket. <laughs> and he was okay awesome. with that, just the standing eye. You know, so they, and you can hand feed them and, and stuff like that, but you catch them with nets. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy, you have to have bird nets around and small, you know, maybe fish nets with a good pocket. But okay. with bigger felsumi, you have bird nets. But they're very sturdy, you know, like a grandis or a clemri or a, a gold dust. These are all very sturdy, easy, easy as leopard geckos, easy as crested. Oh, wow. And, uh, I tell all the crested people, you know, rachidacalous people, I go, you, you need to get day geckos, because during the day you got no one to watch, because all the rachidacalous are asleep. Right. So if you want somebody to watch all day, you can watch the day geckos and feed them the same food that you feed the crested and the leafies and all right. that. So it's, it's a no-brainer. Wow. Very true. <laughs> all right. Now, as far as... Um, Take us through a day, uh, a day in the life of Julie Bergman at Gecko Ranch, if you could. Well, sure. So, well, I have cats, you know, so I'm... Uh, oh, speaking of which, you around. mentioned um, Sweet Pea today. Yeah. Catching a gopher, and you, could, and you said you couldn't imagine it because she looks like a little pumpkin. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's hilarious, but she's bright orange, you know. What, what are these rodents doing? <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't believe she catches, catches birds, I hate that, but she, yeah. but she catches a lot of birds, I'm like, she's big orange cat, <laughs> you know, it's really crazy, that's why so I've always had cats ever since I was like five. Oh, wow. My, in, the, I have like a house, my people house, the people live in with my husband is three feet away from the gecko ranch. Oh, okay. So when I get up, you know, I, I, uh. You know, feed the cats, you know, feed myself, sit around with the husband, drink coffee. Yeah. I do my email and all that stuff, and my, I do, I sell dry goods as well, so I do, I'll get all the orders for oh, okay. the, you know, Rapassi Superfoods or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. t-shirts, hats, and I'll, right now I'm selling a lot of t-shirts and hats and things for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, getting those orders, and also uh, I'm probably checking the weather uh, channel.com for uh, the uh, UPS hubs. If I have animals, I'm trying to get out, and uh, which is not happening right now, really. <laughs> oh. Well, I got a few out today that were going to the southeast because uh, Louisville is actually at the my lowest minimum temperature tonight. Yay! <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so that's the main hub that uh, UPS uses for the, the southeast. Oh okay. So you have to check that and make sure between the hours of one and uh, three a.m. that. That hub is above 30, and it is 30 tonight, so we're good to rock and roll with some heat packs with some leopard geckos. Oh, nice. And uh, so I'm always looking at that. Monday through Wednesday is always hopefully planning shipping. Mm-hmm. And um, so after today, I think I'm going to be done until after Christmas. 
because oh, the okay. temperature, and next week is really dicey to ship uh, live animals anyway. Right. You know, with that, that Christmas being at the end of the week. So I try and every year have a cutoff, mm-hmm. you know, for live animal shipping. So I think it's going to be today. Oh, okay. It might be Monday. I might get somebody out Monday, but temperatures don't look good. Oh, okay. So anyway, so, so on to the rest of the day. So um, as soon as I have all my orders and all my stuff, I head out to the, the Gecko Ranch, and I start, I start, uh, I want to look for babies. <laughs> oh, yeah, always. And I'm still looking for those now. Oh, my uh, gosh. I have some late, uh, leachies, uh, late some eggs, and I have some pressed eggs that's still left over from last season. And uh, Belsuma slow down in the winter. They don't stop. <laughs> they don't stop. They just they don't, keep going. Yeah. yeah, I don't have very many of their eggs right now, but I am watching some of them. Wow. Uh, are, I have an incubator, which right now is set at female temperatures, because most of the you know geckos I work with are temperature sex dependent. Mm-hmm. So the, that incubator has both female eggs in it right now, and some Rankin's eggs, which hopefully some of them will have. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, in, I have a room that is about, mm, it's about 75 to 80 most of the time during this time of year. So I have the uh, leaky eggs and crested eggs in there right now. Okay. That's all. Normally that room is, is stacked on the rafters with leopard gecko eggs. <laughs> and at which I don't incubate unless I want to get male. Oh, right. Okay. And if I do that, I have I have an incubator set at 88 degrees. Okay. Nice safe temperature. Right, right. Very cold. Yeah, so that's that's good. Then I go around. I feed the geckos at shift because there's there's like a pinhead, one week old cricket ears, mm-hmm. and those I do first because they most of them need to be fed every day or or uh, so when they get the one week old cricket size, it's like every other day. Oh, okay. And um, then there's the two week old cricket eaters. So I run around with a a couple of those. Feed a lot of self-sumel eat those. Mm-hmm. The, the coleonics, but, you know, a lot of them will eat those. Okay. And then there's three-week-old cricket ears, which is, you know, Felsuma. A lot of people say, I don't want gay crickets because I don't want to hear the chirping. Uh, then order three-week-old crickets, and then it won't be a problem unless you keep them four weeks a week. Right. order too much. Right. Just order as much as you can, you know, feed off before they start chirping. Mm-hmm. Very definitely. <laughs> Very cool. Now, um... What were the, some of the early issues that you ran into as far as breeding the geckos that you uh, breed now? Uh, well, they, that, those are almost 100% having to do with supplementation. Oh, really? Okay. Um, some with temperature, uh, and then 0.01% is better. <laughs> oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, supplementation is, is a huge thing. Um, and um, there's there's certain species that that uh, need more D3 so they can process the calcium. Mm-hmm. And like the standing eye, you know, Felsuma, they they have that most heaviest calcified eggs. So, oh, okay. Um, they have to have a special supplement to Alamer Oh. So more than that, he has like a standard generic, you know, this is what everybody gets. Right. Very good. And he has dinked with it um, and worked with with uh, me as a beta tester and other people to have large, diverse collections of geckos. Right. Because um, he has Rachidaculus, or he used to have, he doesn't keep many right now, but he, uh, he uh, you know, his knowledge is centered on how they react to things. He relies on people like me, and uh, Felipe Devoe really keeps a lot of frogs. So right. 
he relies on police, you know, for uh, input, and the frogs actually helped a lot in perfecting uh, Alan's supplements because they're they're hard and um, they require a lot of calcium. So, okay. uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, how often to supplement, and uh, Alan's supplement can be used, you know, all, all the time, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the everyday supplement, which is nice. So there's no guessing and there's no mixing or any of that. Right. Before, we, we had stuff that you had to mix two parts of that. And I have heard all kinds of weird stuff people are doing. I don't know how they they figure out how they're going <laughs> to eat the calcium one day and the, the uh, phosphorus, the, uh, the multivitamin the next day. I'm like, who did that? Right. No, the animal cannot metabolize these things separately. <laughs> oh, wow. They, they must have them together, you know. Interesting. So if you're going to use a rub count her device, follow the... I, I have posted up the page of RevCal and Herb Divide and how they recommend you use that to more people on more forums than I can count. Because people are just using the one, you know, they didn't know about the other. I'm like, no! Yeah. So it's like, good grief, you must follow their instructions. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, so I think Alan's product makes that. There's no mixing, so I highly prefer it. It's also ground a lot finer. The sixth thing. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so, yeah, supplementation. You must know how to do it. Um, and then uh, you're feeding your food and gut loading and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a big thing. So, knowing how that also goes to how often does your gecko need to eat? Because a lot of people don't know that. And they also feed it the wrong size of cricket if it's a cricket eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the most common mistake. They'll feed them a cricket that is way smaller than the size of their head. Right. So you want the cricket to be 90 to 95% of their head size. Because if you, like, people will have a leopard gecko hatch, and they go, oh, the leopard gecko hatch only died, and they wouldn't eat the pinheads. Like, <laughs> can't feed the pinheads. Right. <laughs> the pinheads are bothering the gecko, you know. Yeah. It's huge, you know. So. Jeez. You know, that's, that's, I think that's a really uh, important thing to know. Okay. Very true. you got to have that in your toolbox, you know, what the, what the food is, how often to feed it. Right. The temperature. Appropriate you know. size. Yeah. Um, and also people don't understand hiding places uh, for geckos because that's, you know, you have to have a couple of different ones at minimum, especially for terrestrial guys because, you know, they, they need to, you know, either... If they want to be with the other geckos, they need a big hide to like, get in there with the other ones. They all kind of clump together. Right. And that that conserves heat. So it's a smart it's a smart thing. I don't think they're all being lovey-dovey. I think they're all, you know, just trying to stay warm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, then if one wants to be by itself because it doesn't, you know, get along with the other ones, then mm-hmm. why are we going on there? You know, they need a separate place. And they also need places where they can't be seen. And I hate these half logs that you go to the pet shop mm-hmm. and you see these half logs in there. Yep. That's okay to have in addition for a display that there's like display uh, opportunities you provide the geckos. That's mm-hmm. a display opportunity for them. Under a basking lamp maybe or, you know, right. they can crawl in at night and they can look around feel right. big, you know, because they're up high. <laughs> but they, it's not, I go, how would you like it if uh, somebody took your house away and gave you uh, uh, a tent that was open on like three sides or two sides. Right, <laughs> and right. Said, this is your bedroom. 
Yeah, no kidding. Where you live now, do you like it? You know, no, of course not. So it's it's uh, paradoxical how it works because the more hiding places that you give them, the better hiding places, the more you see them because they feel secure. Interesting. Well, I learned this from doing native herbie, you know, out out looking at, and I knew where to find the the geckos and stuff because they, well, not only when looking at their poop, but um, find them, but. Uh, you know, you go near, like, a hiding place during the day, they're not usually out because it's too hot, mm-hmm. you know, and but they're next to their hiding place. So uh. they, they have an escape route, but that's where they'll be, and they're going to have this nearby, you know, so they're out, but they are they have this safety, uh, you know, net for themselves. Huh. So you just need to duplicate that, you know, in, in the wild, because people complain, oh, I don't see leopard geckos, I never see them. I go, well, because they don't, they don't have the appropriate hiding place. Interesting. Very nice. <laughs> huh. I'm starting to think about my leopard gecko enclosure now. I'm like, wait a minute, I've got like four or five hides in there. I see them all the time. Okay, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, who was your biggest inspiration for choosing reptiles to work with or continuing on the path of reptiles? Like uh, right now? Or? Right. Right now. And, you know, you mentioned Sean McEwen earlier. Yeah. Um, who would you say that you, is there anyone today that you look up to at all or well uh, you mentioned Martha and I do look up to her a lot I you know she she is a, a very dedicated breeder mm-hmm. and um, she is a passion for her um, and those are the type of people that I end up you know being uh, you know networking with and mm-hmm. you know talking to on a regular basis Alan Rapace is another okay and uh, Felicia Vosley um at the bar. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, he's just, you know, I, I'm, you know, so honored to, to be able to speak to him uh, about geckos and stuff. That's, that's just, it's a privilege. Yes, right, definitely. I can understand that. And just in case our listeners don't know who Philippe uh, Dibostoli is, <laughs> look at any bookshelf in the Herp world and you'll figure it out real quick who he is. Definitely. <laughs> he wrote just about every book out there. Well, and a long time ago, he created this wonderful publication called The Vivarium. Oh, God, I remember that. And he, oh, I actually... He still, uh, you, could, you could buy these used at shows and online. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, her uh, book places sometimes. Yeah. I have, I have all, almost every issue of that, but it was uh, it was a combination of herb art uh, and also a lot of you know, hard content about husbandry and stuff like that. Yeah. Going herping, you know, exploring in different countries, you know, the herbs there and stuff. But it was beautifully written, presented, uh, and it is just, uh, I miss it greatly. There's really uh, nothing like it now. But right. John McEwen was an editor of the Vivarium. He was. Yeah. So Very if you guys definitely. can find the old Vivarium, get them. It's totally worth it. Oh, definitely. They're worth it. Very definitely. Okay, so um, just to wrap this up for you, Julie, uh, we always ask anyone that we always have on the show, what would be the ultimate species of reptile that you would keep if you could, if money was no object and housing? Basically, you could have anything, any reptile in the world you wanted. <laughs> well, what? we'd have to time travel to get that. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, back, well, I mean, not that long ago, maybe, Maybe a hundred years ago, um, there were some dog-sized delphinus. 
a hundred years ago? Very large Felsuma out there. <laughs> like a, one was called Felsuma gigas, and uh, Felsuma Ed, Edward Newtoni um, lived on these little islands in Madagascar, and unfortunately, they're populated by cats and rats, uh, and those that destroyed those those giant Felsuma. Wow. But uh, I think those would be. I can't even imagine. What I've seen uh, museum specimens that have any color or anything like that. I would just freak out to see one of these beautiful, you know, giant Felsuma. I no mean, that, kidding. That the was, size of a dog? Yeah. They were huge. <laughs> and there was like three, at least three different kinds. One kind of is still around, but it's not around. It's, uh, um, uh, uh, Found the, the name of it, but there there is one of the giant forms, but the uh, New Jersey Wildlife Trust controls the, the premium of it, so we don't really really get to see it that much. But Ugh. standing eye, standing eye are the are the very biggest Delphuma. Right. Um, Grandis are a close second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just yeah these I can't imagine what color these these extinct Delphuma were. That would just be so neat to see them. So I mean I'm. So I'm I'm pretty happy with the the uh, the Felsuma I have. Mm-hmm. I, I try and you know uh, collect you know different new Felsuma. Like I don't have uh, a couple of them. Oh okay. Uh, so <laughs> I find that hard to believe, actually. Yeah, there's a couple, and then there are some Tihua uh, uh, and some uh, Lichis that that have my constant attention. Oh okay. As far as color and uh, pattern. Oh. Some of them are quite beautiful. So, but I'm I'm fortunate. I have uh, a Pine Island Tihua and a Grand Terliti, so <laughs> I'm pretty spoiled. Wow. No <laughs> kidding. Well, um, let's see. Now, your website, Julie, uh, just for the listeners so they can go check it out and uh, buy a bunch of geckos from you, <laughs> is geckoranch.com. Correct. Okay. And now, you do you do an open house every year? I do. I do it twice a year. Oh, twice a year. Have my winter one. Okay. And the next one's coming up in March. In March. Okay. And of course, all the details are on your website. Yes. Uh, for the open houses. And uh, when's the next show that you're going to be at? Do you know that yet? That will be uh, in January uh, on the eighth and ninth at, at the Pomona uh, Fairplex, LA County Fairgrounds. So you uh, are going to be at the Pomona show. With, yeah, with awesome. the uh, Reptile Super Show, which is always a good show. It's, uh, it attracts a lot of people. It's diverse. Right. Um, and it's, it's always a fun experience uh, mm-hmm. to do those shows. Yeah, very definitely. Yeah. And uh, any special projects that you're working on right now? Well, um... That you can tell to, us about anyway? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, something that not many people know about is Paradura Vizimba, which I mentioned earlier, but right. some people are scratching their heads going, huh? Yeah, I'm, yeah. What is that? You know, um, there are a lot of different kinds of paradura in Madagascar, and some are more terrestrial-based, like the, the Picta, and uh, some some are more arboreal. In fact, most of them are arboreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Zimba are uh, a larger uh, version of the Andreensis. A lot of people are familiar with a little micro-gecko. Right. It to be, oh, maybe, maybe two inches, two right. and a half inches. So the, the Zimbas are bigger, so they're like, uh, I'd say they're like three and a half to four inches, maybe. Oh. And the, uh, they're sexually dimorphic in that the female is bigger. So oh, really? Okay. Some geckos, that occurs. Not, not all the time, but that, 
does occur there, and some of them have uh, it's an or- they have an orange variant, which is really exciting to me. Wow! When I saw the orange color on a few of these. I wow! Because I started breeding them, I was lucky enough to get a a pair uh, from from uh, Jay Summers, who, who uh, if people know geckos, they know Jay has all the weird obscure stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so Jay, uh, at the last Super Show, uh, a year ago Super Show, um, mm-hmm. Jay came and found me because I have something for you. So he knew I would, I would uh, be a good person, you know, to entrust these two. So they're kind of a special species, and I want to sell them to anybody. Yeah. But um, they, they're very easy to care for, and, and right now I'm starting to keep them with the uh, summarize. So. <laughs> Wow. You know, so you wouldn't even have to set up a, another another terrarium. Another enclosure, you can just throw them right in. Yeah, and they're proving to be hardy. They eat two-week-old crickets as adults and, you know, various other small little worms and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Very cool. Yeah. Now, you also, besides the geckos and uh, geckoranch.com, you said you do sell some of the dry goods, like the Rapashi Superfoods as well yeah, through their website? Yeah, I, I do full-line Rapashi and... Uh, other popular stuff. I have a leopard gecko pack, uh, which is already prepared for beginners. So they have uh, the books, mm-hmm. what they need. They have hide, hiding places, water dishes, and uh, um, what else do they get with that kit? Uh, books. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about all. But all I have to do is get the, the tank and the mm-hmm. you know, uh, reptile carp is what I recommend they get. Okay. Um, for that, so yeah, well, and t-shirts and hats. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, Julie, I do appreciate your time. Once again, we are on the phone with uh, uh, Julie Bergman from GeckoRanch.com, and uh, if you do get a chance, head out to the uh, Pomona show this year uh, or next year, sorry, 2011 show. Uh, check her out. Uh, and there you go. That was Julie Bergman from GeckoRanch.com. And once again, we are brought to you uh, this month by Golden Gate Geckos for the finest leopard, Australian smooth and rough knob-tailed geckos, as well as Australian uh, thick-tailed geckos, African fat-tails, and bandit geckos. Please do check them out, goldengategeckos.com. Look forward next week to talking to Andrew Wyatt from usarc.org. He's going to talk to us about how USARC got started what it's doing, and why it's important to the herpeticulture community to get involved. Mm-hmm.